This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Welcome to episode 91 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking kind of peachy on this warm summer's day, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. And over there in Cambridge, smiling away in a kind of turquoise with multicoloured dungarees, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, uh, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson. Our guest today, I'm very envious of him because... He's got some wet and we've just got dry, dry, dry. Yeah, we're in the droughty old East Anglia. And meanwhile, our guest is enjoying lots of rainfall. So we're very jealous. But before we get stuck into everything else about you, Jack Wallington, what is your middle name? <laughs> so my middle name is, drum roll, rather unimaginatively, it's James. Jack James, JJ. Are <laughs> <laughs> you JJ? JJ, JJ Wallington, I don't know how, it, yeah. So I was christened later in, I was probably, I was about seven and I got to choose my middle name. First of all, I was speaking Christian or Damien and then I wasn't allowed those, so I had to get, I chose James. So you weren't really allowed to choose it at all, Jack. <laughs> no, I wasn't. You can choose it from this set list. Yeah. <laughs> why, why did you want to go for Damien? Was there a reason? I think it just, I just thought it sounded cool. I think, yeah, I didn't know what the meanings behind names back then at that age. And I just thought, you know, Christian, I don't know. I must have thought it was cool. And I think James at the time was one of my best friends. I was like, oh, I'll choose that. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> JJ Wallington sounds awesome, though. I, I think if you need to go off on a separate career, you know, writing. I was and thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Maybe I should switch. Maybe it's, maybe it's decided. <laughs> Rebrand. <laughs> well, well, don't do that because the name Jack Wallington, everyone associates you with this love of the natural world, of wilder things. Obviously, you had your, your first book all about weeds, which was wonderful. And you had a new book out, actually, earlier this year as well. Yes, I've got a, a new book out called A Greener Life. Actually, you know, I'm going to shamelessly plug it here. This is it. This is what it looks like. Woo! <laughs> Green. Um, <laughs> but, I won't do that. but it's um, A Greener Life, which is kind of a continuation of Wild About Weeds. It's kind of looking at, it's, it's a bigger, broader book, really. So Wild About Weeds is very specifically about wildflowers and um, A Greener Life is about ornamental plants, wildflowers, wildlife, all mishmashed uh, edible stuff as well. So it's all mishmashed. But yeah, it's a fun project and I'm, I'm glad it's out there in the world now. Actually, it's a very interesting subject, Jack, because I can't help but think um, that the, there's an awful lot of members of the general public who, in general, I think they're a pretty pretty good bunch. But there are a few that are not, as in everything. Um, and I'm going to have my little, my little chest-beating moan here because um, I noticed that on TripAdvisor, which is a, a, something I don't necessarily like because people can be very rude to you when they're not face-to-face to you and they tend to be rather cruel. And if you have areas of your garden that you are deliberately let, letting or allowing to become slightly more wild, the um, so-called cognoscenti of garden visitors, they suddenly descend like, a, I don't know, a plague of locusts on you, telling how, you how disgusting your garden is looking. This is probably because people don't understand. They don't understand the message that we're trying to get across, that we need, we just don't need rows of salvias and all that kind of thing. We need 
plants and flowers and pollinators. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was at um, Tutton, the RHS Tutton show, and I was looking at this wonderful young designer's garden. The designer was standing right there. And there was a lady who said to she was like, I'd be embarrassed if this was my garden. Right in front of her. I couldn't believe it. I was like, <laughs> who are how could you be so rude about it? But it was but it was beautiful, but you're right. It kind of points to the fact that some people, uh, I think in the in the horticultural world, we're we're very into meadows and wild planting as well as the ornamental structured stuff. Yeah. Um, and some people who perhaps aren't in our world and they're not exposed to kind of they don't they haven't learned to see the beauty in it uh, jack what is your other half like in terms of their approach to the garden to wilder things do they see the beauty in a dandelion like you do or do they think you're mad uh i think well if he thinks i'm mad he's he's going along with it but he's um he's, he's not a gardener at all so he lets me just get on with it which is not which is nice in a way um and i think he doesn't he enjoys it. i think he finds it humorous because <laughs> like there's one I remember we were standing next to one of these naturalistic plantings. I was like, this is so beautiful, blah blah blah, going over the top. And he was like, You have to be careful with this because if you're going over the top, but to lots of people it just looks like a load of falling over weeds and it's rubbish. <laughs> it's kind of like this fine line. It's kind of a he gave gives me these key lessons and he'll I'll be about to cut out a a day a, a daily of a certain colour and he'll be like, Don't do that. And I'll be like, where did this where did this opinion come from? Because normally don't. <laughs> but actually, every now and then has his key decision moments. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. He's, I think he just yeah. If he hates it, he doesn't say it. <laughs> so, he'll be very supportive. And anyone who follows you to you know, to go back to this idea of people commenting and following from afar. Obviously, you're pretty active on Twitter and Instagram, and you have your Wildway newsletter as well, which people must sign up to. It's well worth the investment. Um, but you you have lots of people following along, particularly with the adventures in your new garden. And I don't know how much comment they make or how much input you get, but there must be quite a lot of reaction to what you post. Yes, I got um. There's one one really good uh, designer who um went went in this, but it was a really popular European designer, and he made this. It was a really lovely. Thought. I've got this grass path in the main garden area, and he just said, "Oh, maybe you should you could make those a bit those edges a bit neater." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. maybe I should. Maybe I should." I was like, I'm not ready to decide how this path fits yet. So maybe it will be, maybe it will be neater, but um, I do get these comments. Most people are really support. I've got, it's really funny actually, I've seen to hit upon this stream on social media where people really do get it. So our patio at the moment, which uh, is, it, you look at it and it's just full of weeds. It looks, a, it's a right mess. <laughs> it's, it's not ready, it's not fully ready to be seen by the public. But um, when I do put up little snapshots of it, that's been one of my most liked stuff on social media. So I think I've got this, the stream of people who get it. And actually think about Chris, my partner, he did say uh, the other day, I was like, oh, maybe I should take some of those out and point some of the patio. And he was like, no, I do. I like it to keep it. So I kind of, so maybe he does get it. <laughs> actually, there was that same picture about the patio. It was tweeted um, by someone in, uh, I think it's the Netherlands. And it, so they, so it was written in, um, in Dutch. And I was like, what does this say? And I could use Google Translate and it said, look at this, uh, Look at this beautiful English mess, <laughs> which I think probably sums up my approach to it. <laughs> Your patio sounds a bit like the terrace at Great Dixter when Christo was alive, because I can remember him writing in one of his books about chipping a piece of the paving away because oh. a plant had self-sown and he wanted it to be there. 
It was chosen to be there. And out of respect, he chipped a piece of the paving away to allow that plant to grow there. And I just thought, my God, you know, how, how many people would do that? Well, I have to say that that patio is a big inspiration for what I'm doing here. I was like, yeah. I love, I love that. And um, so, yeah, Christopher Lloyd's writing. I, I, I never met met him, unfortunately, but that his that great Dixter knows his writing and that style yeah. was a huge inspiration. Yeah, uh, it was. You're right. Amazing that he he did that. I don't think many people would have done that, particularly a number of decades ago when this new. No, I mean, I think he was way ahead of his time in lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, <laughs> he came here and looked at our tropical border before he did the exotic garden at Dexter twice. And I think there was a two year gap in between. And he made notes on the first visit and on the second visit, brought back those notes. And we went through everything again. And <laughs> I mean, he spent seven hours walking around our garden here just making notes. I mean, that is a plantsman for you, isn't it? That is a plantsman, yeah. And I have to admit, I've been around your garden doing the same thing. <laughs> Actually, no, I, have, I was going to say, um, there was, funnily enough, um, our big move up to Yorkshire, we'll, talk, we'll probably talk about it a bit more, but it was, we decided to do that on the day we visited your garden. Um, right. Yeah, so we, it, was, it was a big point in our lives, actually, because we, we made this five-year plan um, and it ended, it involved lots of different things, like me changing careers and ended with us moving out of London. Uh, and we decided that day Yorkshire would be it because Chris is from here and, we, and it was... A wild, the wildest area, which we couldn't get further south. Um, so it's a really memorable day. And I remember we said we said a brief hello to you and felt slightly awkward because uh, it's just you were busy weeding and in the middle of doing something. And then Chris was shepherding your ducks around the meadowy areas, the wilder patches. Um, so I will talk about more about your garden. But deep for me again, like Dixter, incredibly inspirational. Uh, your what you've done in your place. So um, oh, thank you. You can well, come I'm, again. I'm very off on one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, all of these little things. It's just funny how it all tied together. I thought it just yeah. brought up this morning and how it all linked. Oh, that's wonderful. That's made me very happy. It's not even my garden, but, you know, I, I feel like I have vicarious joy through East Ruston. It's one of my happy places. Uh, we should talk about this move because I think anybody who follows you and knew how much you wanted you know, a bigger garden than the one you had in London, how exciting it was, again, talking of living vicariously, to see that you got this wonderful plot up near Hebden Bridge. So Can I just, before you, before, sorry, I'm, I'm delaying, yeah. no, sorry. <laughs> but I'd, I'd just like to say that I used to love your little bits that, uh, from you, Jack, about your neighbour's garden, various other places where you saw interesting things happening. I mean, this was just so streetwise um, uh, observation. I just thought it was lovely. Oh, thank you. I kind of that's um, I missed that from we, we didn't leave London because we wanted to leave London. We just wanted more space. But I, I miss that. Uh, what I miss about being in an urban area is that ability to walk around and every garden is this incredible patch of uh, like you might have this really unusual, rare cultivar of a tree, a tree or um, so we had a beautiful handkerchief tree around the corner from us. And then uh, and then the next one could be um, a magnolia or the next one could just be a left wild patch of weeds which has been left but looks so colourful and beautiful so I mean one of one of them was just literally um self-sown weeds and gravel and it was the most colourful garden on the street and looked you couldn't have planted it better. I so can that, relate to that uh, because I remember uh, walk, walking through one of some of the urban streets of Norwich and coming across a garden and a terrace house the garden was completely neglected the house was empty but by the front door and it took me way back to my childhood by the front door this is March by the front door was the huge patch of violets Violet violets just blew me away and looking absolutely fabulous. And I just, it took me back to my childhood just looking at that. And I just think, you know, stuff like that is lovely. Yes, it is. And it's, um, 
I think everyone get that point on just going out and observing and looking um, is so important. I think just um, in my in both in all my books, so I write about that um, just because I found it so it extends your garden. So if you don't have a garden or you have a small space like we did in London, um, it didn't feel small because I had all of these other gardens to enjoy and notice and uh, expand. Now you have got space. We have got, we've got a lot of, we've got too much space. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, not as much space as you've got, but there's a lot to us. <laughs> so, uh, we've got a, yeah, six, six and a half acres, which is all, all yeah, it's a, it's a lot, but we've gotten gradually getting grips of it all. <laughs> yeah. Quite a lot to actually manage. After, yeah, I need to exchange tips on how you do it. <laughs> so two acres of that about is, is meadow which means we can just, it's about managing the meadow and trying to figure out the best management scheme for that. Um, one acre is a, a relatively young woodland uh, with an orchard in the middle that a previous owner has planted. Uh, and then the other, the remaining acres are the ornamental garden and an allotment area, um, chicken field. So it's kind of just a lovely patchwork of stuff that the previous owners began. We find it, we, when we were looking, I was thinking it must be a blank canvas garden that we can transform. But actually, when we when we came here, um, it completely trans changed my mind on that. Thinking, I, I love the the history of this place and the fact that previous owners have put so much love into it, and we could take what they've done to the next stage and make our own mark on it. So, an interesting as a designer, um, I had to. I almost threw away all my. I, I came to this thinking, right, I'm going to design this thing completely, and I've just thrown all of that away, and I'll start again. But um. Yeah, so it's an amazing opportunity. It's going to be, but, but but we've made lots of in the first year. It's been challenging. We have made lots of mistakes and all sorts of things. <laughs> that's what gardening is. Yeah, that's what gardening <laughs> yeah. is. I mean, I think I think it's wonderful that you chucked your, your your ideas and drawings out of the window and you're just living with it and letting it talk to you. Um, yeah. I think that's most of, one of the most important things that you can do because if you let the, the if you let your place talk to you and if you listen, it will evolve and be wonderful. Now that's that's what how I say I say that from experience, as well of course yeah. as, as there's there's Graham and I we have debates you know, Christo once said that <laughs> we're so lucky to have each other because you have debates it's bat and ball bat and ball bat and ball you refine it <laughs> and you get to the end and it's wonderful well yes it is but the debates are something else I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the longest debate you've had? Have you ever had one that's raged for days? <laughs> Three years I think. <laughs> what was the debate where you had an idea and, it, and you had to sort of really win him over and you, and you got well, your way well I mean there's one going on at the moment and it's halfway up the clematis border there is um there's a, a, an inset sort of um gravel inset and there's a seat sitting there and that seat without anything over the top of it looks so lonely and so sad and we've been debating, this is the three-year debate, which is that we've been debating what to do with it. So Graham, I mean, Graham's very clever. He can draw to architectural standards and to everything is done to scale and everything else. So it's lovely. Um, but he draws, um, shall we say, with such ambition that the thing becomes too complicated to build. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have to embark on a, on a, um, a, a kind of refinement of this idea. Um, and I, I think at last we're there. So, uh, well, uh, well, put it this way, the wood's been bought. The other little thing that I did with him one day was we we were going to build a wall and then a gap and then a he, he wanted to build a fence. I said, no, it's got to be a wall, um, tie the two things together. And he said, well, you can always build a wall. Well, one of the lessons my gardener's taught me is that if you if you fill in with a stop gap, 
thinking you will do it later. You won't do it later because plants grow, cover it, and it, you know, it just becomes a permanent feature. And we were discussing whether to build this fence or this wall. And we sat outside, it was in November, because I remember we were having lunch outside, the garden was shut, there's no visitors around. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I think we really should have a wall there. And he said, well, you know, I think I have to say, I think you're right. And I said, well, I'm so glad because I've ordered the bricks. (laughs) (laughs) You can only do that when you know somebody really well. That is brilliant. Well, <laughs> you're right. Having having debate. I mean, I I don't have debate. I just sort of try and incrementally inch bits of the lawn away, and uh, then the other half, other half doesn't talk to me for a, a day. I, I actually I remember you saying in one of your posts that you've got bits of lawn at the minute, but you don't know how long they'll last for as more and more plants creep in. Yeah, well, I've already got rid of the main lawn. <laughs> was, we've got this grass path, and I was thinking, oh, maybe in the future that won't be grass; it'll be gravel. But I've really come full circle, and I, I love having a bit of grass with uh, lots of wildflowers in it, like self-heal and dandelions and stuff. Um, but yeah, pre- pretty much all the other than parts, the grass is going, so there will be no lawns. We've got the, we have the meadows, so when they're cut, you can kind of walk. If you want to lie down on grass, you can lie down on those. <laughs> I've left one, the grass path I've left big enough so that if anyone wants to have a picnic, they could just fit at the top of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm generous. There is something about sitting on grass and having a picnic. And if you want to do it in my garden at the moment, I'm awfully sorry. I would have to decline because my grass is brown. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. (laughs) We need some of Jack's rain. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Uh, You said, Jack, that you'd made several mistakes already. I am desperate to ask what one or two of them are to make us all feel better about the many mistakes we make in our own gardens. Oh gosh, okay, so many. Um <laughs> where to where to begin for, for um what mistakes have I made? Uh the meadow for, meadow's been a real challenge because um it, the up here we're about a month behind, uh, lower down in the valley. So all the plants are a month behind, and yet the, the meadows are still cut at the same time. Um so lots of the later uh lots of the later flowers in the meadow don't have a chance to set seed. So I've been trying to encourage, uh, speaking to local farmers to ask, we just cut it in mid-August instead of mid, mid to early July, just to try and get that in. But uh, I kind of think this this year, it's, this year it's just, um, it's, that's been a bit chaotic. We've had, I don't know if it's a mistake, but it's, under, um, it's a real challenge understanding how to, what's the best regime for our specific meadow in our position. Um, other, other mistakes, what have I done? Um, but it's mostly to do with fences. Basically, I, I can grow plants, but I can't any DIY, and we're just forget it. <laughs> so yes, there's like, another one of you out there. <laughs> yeah. I am so bad. <laughs> okay, good. High five. But um, yeah, things like putting up fences for to stop deer or rabbits and things. You just Chris and I just look like we've never handled a, a hammer before. It's just <laughs> carrying it over with planks of wood, and the fences are wonky. The gates, you know, everything's just about functional. Uh, but that's been been a bit a bit bad but um yeah then removing removing bits of fence and then realizing i've let a rabbit in and then locked it in that was, I think that was a bit of a mistake. <laughs> i suppose that is the only downside of getting your acres is it comes with a lot of wildlife as well and especially when you're a wildlife gardener it's about supporting certain areas of the wildlife community certain parts of it and not necessarily letting the rest of them munch away at all your plants Yes. Are you doing anything like workshops or anything where you live? We're not yet. I've got a, I've got it on my mind to do some at some oh, point. I've got an idea for you. This <laughs> is direct, 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 
earlier this week, and that is a styling workshop. Ah, oh, yes. You I see what you're and, you, and then you could you could actually do your wildflower medal at your convenience when you know you've got ten or twelve people there, each wielding a scythe. Bring your own scythe, by the way. I love this idea. When we used to do that in the in the countryside, when I was a boy, we used to do that. Um, you'd leave it to dry yeah. for two or three days, then you'd turn it over. So a man, man would go out with a pitchfork and turn the grass over and, the, and anything else that it contained so that it dried equally on both sides before you gathered it up. Otherwise, it starts to rot. And you uh, pray that it didn't rain. It didn't rain at that time as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the challenge with doing cutting it later here because it, it's more you take your dry days when you get them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because there is more rain. What's, what, what's your rainfall per year? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it's probably so best not... you don't tell him because he'll just be really jealous. Yeah, it's significant. It was. Um, I have to admit, coming from London, where we have, I think it was as dry as as Norfolk is uh, almost, and it's. Um, I, I was overjoyed by the fact that we would have more. I'm so I keep rubbing it in. I don't mean to. <laughs> having more rain as when we go on to our later on talk about plants, I'd like to be able to grow by can't. So I think that's where having more rain has its downsides. But um, but it's, yeah, but it's, you could grow a mechanopsis, and I can't. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We can grow mechanopsis. <laughs> there's one. There's a beautiful garden around the corner where I saw mechanopsis on mass all through woodland, and it was just yeah. that glowing blue is incredible. Yeah. Wow. That makes yeah. me want to move to Hebden Bridge as well. Also, Hebden Bridge, <laughs> lovely place. So. <laughs> yeah. Because Thunder actually has a has a, a story about mechanopsis. She actually bought uh, a blue mechanopsis, and she was so thrilled that she'd got this mechanopsis and it sort of put up its flower bud and she but was just... I was so good because I cut the first bud off. I was told, yes. cut the yes. first one off, Big wait growth. a year and it will be a better plant. So I did, it's one of the only times I've done what I was told in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course the, the, the pleasure came and the second bud the following year came up and it's got ready to open and it opened its little head and it was white. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> And people try and tell me that's very fancy, but I wanted a blue one. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've never grown them ever again. After all of that trauma, I'm certainly in this climate in Cambridgeshire. I'm not even bothering in case it's white. Right <laughs> Did the white one survive? No, no. Well, I, I obviously stopped looking after it at that point because I was so in, uh, irritated with it that I stopped caring for it. It, it didn't make it. Like so many of the plants I have bought uh, in my my quite limited 10-year gardening career, it's uh, I hate to think how many haven't made it. <laughs> that's, that's part of the trial and error. <laughs> now, I keep seeing as you're talking, every so often you gently knock why I assume is going to be one of your show and tell plants and we get this yeah. lovely little bobbing pom-pom yeah. over to the side of the screen. I feel like we should embark on show and tell. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's like a little supporting <laughs> cast member over to the side just peeping in and sort of saying hello. <laughs> It's like a microphone. It's yeah, like one it of those is. things. That <laughs> like one of those big fluffy mic muffs. So, do you want to start your show and tell there, or do you have other ideas? Shall I start here? Why not? My show and tell is a mix of interesting ornamental plants and a few. I've got a few weeds. Uh, yeah. This one I thought was interesting because it's um, it's an allium, but it's actually it's a leek. Uh, so this is just growing on the on our allotment. And it's this huge stem. So it's um, it's probably almost head height. It's just a leek. Uh, the variety is Musselburgh or Musselburgh um, and I just let some flower I thought it was interesting because it's got these silvery purple very light purple flowers 
Um, but it's as, as good as a, an ornamental allium and it's flowering mm-hmm. almost in August, uh, which is quite useful. So actually, I've got this thing about edible plants and how beautiful they are and how beautiful, we don't look at their flowers, but actually if leeks can produce these sturdy stems on our windy hillside, um, it's quite interesting. There's a couple actually, there's a leek that we used to grow called St Victor. Um, I don't know whether you've ever heard of it, but it has particularly blue foliage. Um, oh. And we used to grow it in the in the flower garden as a as a as a decorative plant, purely and simply for the blue uh, the blue leaves. And then, of course, it used to put up the, the lovely leek flowers as well. So, I mean, you know, just a beautiful plant. Also, Cleve West putting a, a, a parsnip in flower in in one of his Chelsea show gardens. I mean, yes. it's a genius. You know, yes. the, the, the judges were walking around going, well, I think it must be an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> All of this. They didn't recognise the leek removed from the vegetable garden and put into the flower garden. And it, it really is lovely in flower. Lime yeah, in flower, they're just gorgeous. Yeah, that's genius. That is a particularly beautiful flower. So you know, there's these opportunities that we might miss just because we categorised them as edible. Yeah. Um, Vice versa, I suppose. Yeah, I've seen, I can't remember whether it was in your newsletter or a post online, but I've seen you say the same thing about chives. Great little garden plant. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, herbs, I put in every single one of my designs, I put herbs in. So things like chives and rosemary and thyme. Um, but chives are so easy and they grow, uh, uh, maybe you find this or not, but they, they grow in and flower almost in uh, quite heavy shade as well. So they kind yeah. of... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're amenable. I got yes. a quite nice chive, I think, from Pan Global called Pink Beer, B-E-R-E. And the, the meaning of B-E-R-E is um, barley in Old English, I think. What, why it's pink barley, I have no idea. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like a giant chive. It's, it's equally edible, flowers and leaves. Um, flowers early in the season doesn't repeat very much, um, but it is a, a, a deep crimson flower. So it's, it really is a good one. And, you know, if, as with chives, you just raise the whole lot to the ground and they look tatty, up comes a new lot, especially if you have rain, Jack Wallington. <laughs> yes, yeah. I cut ours down last week and they're already up here. <laughs> this is, I really, I'm, I'm, I might just have to go with it and just keep rubbing the rain in your face. I, can't, I don't mean to. The main heat wave, it was bad because it was dry up until that point, but since then, thankfully, it's been raining. But um, there's one chive which I've never been able to find, one cultivar, uh, just a traditional cooking chive, uh, which is called Wallington. Um, which is a pure white cultivar. Um, I've got a pure white cultivar, but I don't know that it's called Wallington, but there is a white chive that I've got in pots. It's not as tall or as large growing as the plain pink chives. And I must say, I'm not a lover of of ordinary pink chives because I find the pink flowers dirty looking and they get get more dirty looking as they age, I think, to me. But the white ones are really refreshing, but they're not as robust and they're not as as large um, growing. But... I, I got mine from Beth Chatters, actually. Oh, okay. Hmm. I'll have to look on there. I'll be, yeah, oh, fantastic. I love the sound of your uh, the other ones that you mentioned, the, the beer. Yeah, pink beer. Oh, yeah. Big beer. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah I Good think one. we all need that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a strong allium start, and I think you've been doing some allium experimentation in your new garden with white alliums. Oh, I have, yes. I want, I want our gardens to have lots of large white alliums. Um, I love the purple ones, but I just wanted it to be white for a change. Um, but every time I researched white alliums, between things like um, White Giant or Mount Everest, every article I read said each the other one was better than the other. But it says there's about 10 articles for each saying the other is better than the other. And I was like, what, what's the, 
there's only one way to sort this out and it's to pit them against each other. Um, I, I can't reveal the results here because it's in my newsletter next month. <laughs> And I feel guilty to people who've signed up for that. Uh, to it. But um, <laughs> a, re- a, a remarkable and perhaps unremarkable trial. They, 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 <laughs> well, we'll have to find out. This is the ultimate uh, way to get people to sign up. You now realise, JJ, what you've just done. You've just got, I don't know, 50,000 more followers. You might get 50 more. <laughs> That's the only time I'll do this, but I'll, um, but, I, but I think the point, but I guess the point of what I'm doing in the garden at the moment is trialing lots of different varieties of things. Uh, very, very close. And the other interesting thing is, it's like doing RHS trials, isn't it? I mean, we've got a very interesting trial of spireas. I don't think at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> in conjunction with RHS at Wisley, um, but you know, if you do those two white chi- white alliums, and I do those two white alliums. Yeah. Uh, is the result going to be the same for me as it is for you with all your rain? I guess not. <laughs> a, very, a very good question. Yeah, <laughs> it could be that a one survives drought a bit better than the other, which yeah. I won't. Um, but it's, yeah, it'd be very interesting to know because I know there's a lot of information on the purple alliums, but very little on because there aren't very many. But which is the best white allium? <laughs> well, we'll find out in the Wildway newsletter next month. Yes, thanks. Or maybe this month, by the time this goes out, who knows? <laughs> yes, but I think it is, it's good to um. People should try their own. If you're going to plant a plant, perhaps buy three different closely linked, uh, three different cultivars that are quite close in colour or shape. Try them out in your garden, because as Alan says, your garden could be different to what the catalogues say. Exactly. Um, just give one season, see which one you prefer, which one attracts more wildlife, uh, which one lasts longer, etc. All these different things. Yeah, excellent idea. Well, that was a strong allium start to show and tell. Where would you like to go next? Okay, well, I've got, I, I had to stop myself because I was basically bringing in the entire garden to show you. I got so excited. But I've, um, I'll do a really quick one on the last edible one, um, which I thought was interesting. You might not want to put this in your border, but I wanted to show you kale. <laughs> because I just, I love growing, I'm, I'm a big vegetable grower as well. Um, so I thought I'd stick up with the vegetables, but also at the moment our brassica patch is absolutely beautiful. And I thought just the, these three kale, I don't know if you can see them. Um, you've got red Russian in the middle, um, Nero de Toscano, this one, which is like a, a Cavalier Nero type, um, and then Scarlet here. And just, I love walking past the patch because of the purples and the greens and the glaucous colours and the, kind of like the silvery grey colours over the top of it. It's just so beautiful. And I think... Um, yeah. I was anything in your ornamental garden, but so I followed shadow. They are equally good as ornamentals as well. We use we use them in pots outside our greenhouse where we grow chilies and tomatoes and things like that. And we've got big containers, and we because I think there's some of those kales they do need a biggish container, not a, a pit yeah. little pot. They need to be sort of umphy, um, and we combine them with all sorts of summer bedding, and they just are fantastic. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I think I guess it must be a challenge with them. Um, the cabbage white butterflies. We, we we're quite lucky up here because no, no, no Jack, Jack, wait. It's <laughs> large white. I stand corrected by an entomologist. <laughs> oh right, okay. I'm so <laughs> glad you gave him the opportunity to do that. He loves doing that. So I, said, <laughs> I said to this this chap, butterfly man. I said to him one day about cabbage whites. He said, technically, you know, Alan, they're not cabbage whites. They're actually large white butterflies. Oh right. I, I did. I, I I made the effort to say large whites. Okay, thank you. I'm, I'm learning a lot here as well. This is good. But the large white butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. They are a nuisance. I mean, it is uh, a thing. We we try and squish as many eggs as we can. But I mean, you know, and, and we squish caterpillars, of course. But you know, we try not to use pesticides here. 
yeah, kind of trying to get that balance. It's interesting trying to stop with like using netting as well outside. But yeah. then I think if it wasn't for the large white butterflies, um, <laughs> I'd grow kale in ornamental borders more. But I've, I've tried that in the past, but you can't put because I, I don't want to use chemicals on edible edible plants really and, and in borders. But um, you can't be squishing stuff in borders all the time. No, no, quite right, quite right. In a container, it's not so bad because you can get up close and walk around it. Yes. Well, I'm glad you included those because they look absolutely beautiful. And we don't get the chance to talk about many edibles on Talking Dirty. So, and we should. It's just we get completely distracted by ornamentals. So I'm glad you brought a couple along to, to lure us in and get us to definitely put leaks in our borders. I'm feeling quite inspired by that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'll be pleased to know that the, um, the, the rest of the plants are all ornamental. <laughs> so, what's your, so we've done edibles. What's your first ornamental then? Let's start with, I've got lots of spires. So Resida luteola, um, which is the weld. Uh, I don't know if you can see that. I love this. I love weld. Um, no one has ever brought it along to the podcast. I am so pleased you did because the amount of times when I was younger, I'd walk along and think, what is this plant? And go back and look through my wildflower books. And then, yes, it's weld. And it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I kind of, what I love is it's kind of, I actually grew this in my London garden where sort of for the kind of like limey green spires and it and it grows um the one in our garden currently because we've got so much rain uh it's growing overhead well overhead heights and you can get that when it has enough water but it might be a bit shorter in drier areas um but it would grow all around the country so i first noticed that in dry spots uh dry wild spots along train tracks and around london and everywhere um and it was self-seed not too heavily um but very a pretty easy plant and you can use it. Is it dyers rock? I think you can use it for creating dyes if you're. Yeah, you can, yeah. We had that much. Uh, <laughs> the one I was thinking of is Resida um, odorata, which is mignonette. And that, that um, it's very strange. It's a strange plant. I mean, you, you get the, if you can get the wild form, it's better. But it, I mean, it's beautifully scented, but it won't tell you when or you won't know when it's going to be scented and when it's not. Oh, you can right. be walking around your garden in the evening expecting to, to be met by this cloud of perfume and you get nothing. <laughs> and another day, you'll just walk past it and it, yeah, it's amazing. Isn't that weird how plants do that? Yeah. With the weld, I, I love knitting and I've always loved the idea of doing natural dyeing. I have never even grown the plants. I've never started down this process, but I always like to think that when I retire in many years to come, I will try my hand at natural dyeing and therefore weld is, is on my wish list for them. You're painting a picture. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting this picture of this woman in cambric clothes with two knitting <laughs> in her bum. <laughs> That'll be me. <laughs> Hanging out natural dyed sheets with yeah. blotches of colour. <laughs> Yeah, onion skins everywhere. and <laughs> That is lovely, though. I'd, I'd never even thought about incorporating it into my garden, but it's a, a beautiful, lovely yellowy green spire. Well, there is yeah. something to be said for using spires. Um, if you use them in groups, spires can have this wonderful effect of taking your eye upwards. I mean, in the desert, we have salsa and verbascums which we leave en masse because, uh, you know, a grouping of them, and especially if they're on a slope and you get all these spires going, it is wonderful. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing them in, in your, um, the gravel desert garden. Mm. Uh, it was, yeah, absolutely beautiful there. And I think you're right. It just kind of, there's something about spires as well. It, they really draw your eye along. So even in yes. the wild, when, when, when I saw this, it's kind of, you can't miss them. And you just, mm. something about it, which just is exciting. Yeah. I have another couple of spires. Right, let's move on to some ornamentally things. Veronica Astrum, should we yep. have 
Um, as an album, I'm also growing Diane, um, which I so far I can't tell the difference between the two, other than Diane is slower, but you might know more. And then Persicaria September Spires, which is another one. So I, I just love these. At the moment, I'm into these wispy, tall, flowery things, which yeah. actually all look the same, but different colours and how I'm looking at them. <laughs> yes, they're lovely together. And you can see there how the world really it's, holds its, its own. It's got that little bit more. It looks a bit, a bit more robust than the other two, doesn't it? The other two are yes. um, wispier, I suppose. Yeah, you can yeah. feel that in the stem, actually. It's got a really solid stem, whereas these are a yeah. bit softer. So it's got <laughs> lot, lots of rockety, wispy things. <laughs> hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.